Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of The Life of Brian. Dot, 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 Manic Studies podcast with thanks to our good friends at Murcotts. That's murcotts.edu.au. 1300 576. Ladies and gentlemen, Brian Mannix is in the building. God, I thought you're never going to introduce me then, Kev. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I thought of it there for a minute. I thought, you know, I could probably keep this going for a couple of minutes, talking about who's on the show and do all that stuff, and not even yeah, mention him. Not even see, mention me. And see what happened. Well, that's what you did on today's show, didn't you? I started without you. Yeah, you started without me. You're just hogging our guest today to yourself. Wouldn't you? Because you, you fancied her, I fancied her, but you just said, I'll just have seven minutes by myself with her. Let's be honest, the world fancied this lady when she first came on board and she's still a delightfully beautiful human being today. Kim Wilde is who we're talking about, who's our guest. She's no relation to Richard Wilde, for, who became Richard Wilkins, of course. Of course not. No. Though they may have, uh, have frequented the same hairdresser at some stage. Well, yes, but we did have Richard on the show as well. Yes, so we it's did. No, no discrimination here. No, at none all. at all. Um, no, no, but anyway, it's, isn't it great? You've got Kim Wilde on the show and, wow, she's fantastic. Um, back in the 80s, you know, she was as big as, well, as big as probably Madonna or uh, oh, yeah. Cindy Lauper, certainly as tall as them. <laughs> uh, she was she was a massive star. I mean, Kids in America, which we'll play during the show and talk about, Cambodia. Um, we're going to play a, a new song she's done for this a new compilation album that's out uh, that she's done a duet with Boy George. So yeah. we'll, play, we'll play that. Now, I want to say first up, apologies to uh, Lisa Edwards and to any Lisa Edwards fans. On the last podcast, we said we'd have the second part of Lisa on this. We're going to hold it over because we spent so much time talking to Kim. Uh, we thought we'd uh, not just throw Lisa at the end of the show. We wanted to showcase the stuff she's got to talk about because it's really good stuff. She talks about Farnham and Yoko Ono and all that sort of stuff. So we'll play yeah. that in the next episode. Yes. Uh, okay. Then. Now, a good, right. very I'm good. Sure I want to mention our okay very good friends that. at murcots.edu.au. We're coming up to Christmas. They're telling us to shop early for Christmas. So uh, get on their website, murcots.edu.au, or give them a call on 1300 576 and get a voucher. Get get someone a voucher for Christmas. Great idea. Good. What good was present. the website again, uh, Kevin? What would you going to call me? I was going to call you Greg for some reason. <laughs> I don't know what. Um, what was the website? Murcots.edu.au. Yeah, I just thought you threw that away a little bit, and I was confused as to what it was. So I just Murcots.edu.au. Edu.au. Okay, I've got it. Oh, I only threw it away because you called me Greg. <laughs> Sorry, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, let's get into Kim Wilde uh, straight up. Uh, and, let's and get into Kim Wilde. You reckon you could choose your words a little bit better oh, than that? Oh, I don't think about those things in the same way you do. Well, I do. I think about it all the time. <laughs> well, clearly. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk to Kim Wilde and see yes. what she's got to say for herself. Shall we, Greg? <laughs> well, oh, I might as well be. And, and we start with just me on my own because you didn't join the Zoom conversation. You and, didn't and send me the invite. You just hogged it. No, I did. I did you send did, you the invite. You now, what happened was, just to explain, to I am, I'm sitting in my studio on my computer with the Zoom link to Kim and I can see her. Yeah. Now, uh, oh, you will make an entrance into this program as you rightly, uh, uh, you know, uh, as you should do being, you know, the rock star that you are. 
But then you're on the phone, you're not in the Zoom session because you reckon... No, I didn't get to see it. So you couldn't see it. So there's a couple of of things as as the interview goes on where you'll understand why we say what we say because Brian can't see Kim and Kim can't see Brian, but I can see Kim and Kim But we fell in love all the same. Oh, yeah, I must admit she did sort of spark up when you came on, but anyway. one three hundred triple five five seven six. Okay, <laughs> my God. That, that was, see, that was the problem. You called that number and that's why you couldn't get in the Zoom session. <laughs> you went straight through yeah, the Yeah, I know, phones. but I got some great driving <laughs> yeah, lessons. exactly. Fantastic. All right, let's get to Kim Wilde. Here we go. Hi, Kevin. I'm really good. I'm going to just turn you up. Beautiful. You can hear me okay? I can, I can. What a lovely room that is. Oh, well, this is my office. This right. is my little hideaway when I when everything gets a bit noisy in the house, which it does a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, somewhere to escape to, other than the shed uh, uh, or the garden, which I I believe you're you know you love with a passion. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, the garden's the, the ultimate escape, isn't it? That's the that's the place to go. Exactly right. Now I'm just waiting for Brian to. to Tap in, which he shouldn't be too far away. But uh, it's obviously you're in a different. We're in we're in lockdown still. Like with the city that we are in, Melbourne, we're in heavy lockdown. Shocking. The, the music industry is one industry, and Brian's a Brian. Who hopefully, will be here in a tick. Is a singer in a band, and he's. I think he's done maybe four gigs in eighteen months. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's 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 crazy. I've done about four gigs myself as well. Um, and they've all been outdoor festivals, and it's so that it's been between four, five, six more thousand people. Yeah. For um, you know, for eighties festivals. Yeah. They've been very highly attended. No one wearing masks or anything. I don't think that they have to show a double vaccine when they go in yet. Don't think they do. Okay, I thought. I think it, most people have one anyway, though. Now, if they're going to go to a event like that, they they would have a double vaccine out of choice. The the gigs that have happened, um, everyone's reporting that the the crowds are twenty percent more more off their heads because they're just so happy to be out and uh, to be hearing a band and yeah. to be seeing someone performing live. Yeah. They're going they're going more more yeah. off their heads than normal. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, I don't know. Technically, whether they're off their heads, but certainly the uh, crowds have been um, really off the scale with their reaction. I mean, that they're so relieved. Uh, you know, I always said to uh, Scarlett, my backing vocalist. You know, she's uh, in my band. She said to me, you know, when when music comes back, it, it will be it will be the most joyful aspect of uh, one of the most joyful aspects of coming out of this lockdown will be when you go to a gig. Yeah, oh, no doubt about that. One of the things that uh, struck me about uh, looking back over your career is you, except for a very short amount of time, you never lost that that kind of that thrill of being on stage and the thrill of, of performing and the thrill of singing. It's all it's been with you since you know day dot. Yeah, and it's still with my father. You know, he's eighty two now. He's got a massive tour all planned up for next year. He's does he's done a lot of more gigs my, uh, this year than I have. Yeah, um, it's just in my blood. I think. Um, I remember going to see my dad stand, standing side of stage watching him perform as a child. Yeah, I, I can't let it. I can't let go of it. So yeah. I did let go of it for a while when I got married and had kids. Um, I didn't miss it for a while. It was nice to have a break from it and get in. But then I sort of replaced one passion with another. So the music got replaced by horticulture and being a mum. Yep. So I am a woman that needs to sort of live with her passion very close to, 
very close to her. So, but now, of course, it's um, the kids are grown up, and I can. There's enough room in my life to have both horticulture and music, and I can enjoy both. Just let me take this. This is obviously Brian. Hello. Hello. Yes, well, Kim can hear you, I think, but she won't be able to see you. Hey, Brian. Hello, Kim. Lovely to have you on the program, and congratulations. You've been very, very busy. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it's it's an exciting time. Forty years since Kids in America, a, a beautiful uh, compilation that Cherry Red have put together for my sixtieth year. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's all it's all, and we're you know we're we're in a slightly more advanced uh, situation here with the whole lockdown thing. So there's a lot of optimism around at the moment. Well, that's great, and and the autobiographies or the biographies coming out as well, which is. Fantastic, because there's never been one before. No, um, actually, Marcel Reese, who runs my website, who I've known for about twenty years now, he asked he, he asked me during lockdown if I minded him having a crack at doing the biography. I thought, well, that I couldn't think of anyone else more suited to do it. You know, he's a librarian by profession, so he's meticulous. So that's a you know, it's a very thorough chronicle of my career and I did help edit it for uh, substantial parts of it I, I spent a lot of time during lockdown adding stuff mostly not taking away um, so I got very involved with it but it's ultimately it's his book he put it out and uh, he'll get the whatever comes from it is it what's and all <laughs> it's not no it's a biography mm. um, a professional biography yep um there's no, not, not many warts in my career. Yeah, no, don't, um, I was going to say, it, it doesn't need to be because you've, you've dodged all that by choice, obviously. Yeah, to a degree. I mean, obviously, one's personal life is not what the public see. Um, and my personal life has had its challenges, but they're not ones that I would ever want to put in a book. Fair enough. It sounds like you came from a very musical family, kid. your dad in particular. That's where your book starts. So can you tell us about growing up and the, the family influence on you and all that sort of stuff? Well, Brian, I, I grew up in the 60s. You know, I, I was born in 1960. I grew up in that incredible decade, you know, listening to the Beatles when they first were releasing music and um, Penny Lane. I remember that's just in my head, being sat, sat in the back of my dad's Ford Zodiac, travelling up to Liverpool to see my nan, um, listening to Gene Pitney's 24 Hour from Tulsa or Cilla Black's Anyone Who Had a Heart. Um, or the Righteous Brothers, You've Lost That Loving Feeling. You know, these are all great, great songs that were in the mix of the 60s as I was growing up. And at the same time, watching my dad sat on the sofa, strumming his guitar with his beautiful big hands and writing songs. Um, and then when I was a bit older, just going to watch him play live. So, yeah, growing up in a musical house, my dad's huge music fan has this incredible vinyl collection, which he... Um, absolutely gave me and my brother Ricky access to. So we were listening to everything from Tchaikovsky to Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra. Um, and then later on, you know, he, he had all the great Joni Mitchell albums and Aretha Franklin, Carole King, uh, the, all the Beatles stuff, all their solo stuff, all the Paul Simon and Garfunkel stuff, all the Paul Simon stuff. I mean, wow. all the great songwriters, Stevie Wonder, Aretha Franklin, you name it. They were all in there. Um, for us to play. I don't know 
how he thought a 12-year-old should be in charge of his vinyl collection. It's probably why it's so buggered up now. <laughs> in my in my singles collection, uh, out in my shed, I have a copy of Abba Gavini, which I bought when I was – I reckon that must have come out in – that would have been 68, so I would have been about I'd have been at 12 at that stage, and I thought it was one of the really good pop songs of the time. Well, Dad always loved pop music, and when he started writing, it was initially – he was one of the first sort of rock and rollers – um, in the late 50s. And then he was one of the first uh, performers, rock and rollers, who developed his songwriting skills, um, which many of them didn't and had songs given to them. So that's that's where he really started to find his, find his sort of, uh, you know, his role really in music was to be, to be a, a, a master of pop, which he still is, you know, he's, he still loves writing, he's still recording. And of course he co-wrote Kids in America with my brother Ricky Wilde. Yeah. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about that because it's a it's such a cool song, and it's you know the production on it is so good, and your performance is wonderful. But it's kind of it's kind of like intelligent punk. I think you know it's sort of got sort of punk influences. We've got that keyboard sort of okay. Here come the eighties. We're getting into keyboards now. Yeah. But it, it's a real coming from Abaca Benny <laughs> to um, Kids in America. It's a, it's a fair journey. Well, of course, uh, Kids in America, from um, the music point of view, was written by my brother, Ricky Wilde. And he was only just about 18 at the time, sat in a studio, big fan of Gary Newman and the Stranglers and uh, Brian Ferry and uh, all the the glam rock of the uh, 70s, but all the new wave stuff that was coming through, obviously the Clash and the the Sex Pistols and Blondie. And uh, it was very, uh, there was a lot of stuff just happening just before we started making records that uh, OMD, uh, a lot of synth stuff. The Human League, of course, was massively influential. Uh, so, yeah, Rick kind of got all of those influences, plus all the stuff from the 60s, um, and it all found itself on Kids in America, um, which he mostly played, in fact. He, he played all the keyboard parts and the guitar parts. Uh, I think the only thing Rick didn't play on that record was the drums. <laughs> wow.
All right, that's Kids in America. The uh, name of this uh, compilation CD that we're talking to Kim about is Pop Don't Stop. Um, and you can get it online if you uh, if you can't find it in, uh, you know, around the place. Cherry Red is the people who put it together. So you can jump on uh, the World Wide Web and uh, find it that way. Pop Don't Stop. And... We, you know, we just played Kids in America. One of the other great songs, and I know you wanted to ask her about this, and you did, Brian, was uh, yes, that terrific, massive hit she had called Cambodia. So let's get to the interview part where you ask her about that. Cambodia. That's a, that's a really, really cool song. Um, what was the inspiration for that? Obviously, Vietnam War, but, it, you know, written 20 or whatever his age is, or was it your dad or but. It's such a cool song. The production's great. And the message, yeah, it's, in, and it's really cool. Tell me about that. It's a beautiful song, you know. It came about, um, like you say, you know, my father was very aware of uh, the news that was coming through, the, the tragedy that was happening in Vietnam, and he wanted to write, a, a, I don't know, a human approach to uh, the hell that is there. I mean, obviously they were still watching stuff like we do now on TV. You become sometimes desensitised to the, the awful reality of war. Um, and I think my dad wanted to try and capture a human part of war and try and uh, express how sad it was. Um, and he tried to do that in, in Cambodia, and I think he really succeeded. The music is absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, it dictated the, the theme of the song. I know that my father was very inspired by Ricky's beautiful music, and which he's still writing, you know. So, you know, the music came first, the words were inspired by the music, and, and then events in the world were inspiring the lyrics. Kim, I saw a, an interview you did um, with your dad uh, and he mentioned that uh, with Cambodia, at one stage in the, in the studio recording of that, Sting walked in and wanted to play on it, but it, it's, yeah. it never made I it think- onto the record. Yeah, it's a crazy story that I'd completely forgotten about. Uh, he was recording at Rat Records, Mickey Most record label in Charbot Street, our first label, uh, the um, legendary Mickey Most. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Steve, uh, sorry, Sting, <laughs> Sting was playing in the next studio doing some work and came in and said, oh, you know, I wasn't there that day, so I missed this. Um, but I got told about it that he wandered in and said, oh, do you, would you like me to put some bass down on the track? Um, which he did. And then um, <laughs> apparently my dad didn't like it very much. And then, and then Rick said, I think it was better, simpler the way we did it. So the, the, the lot, the, the, I can't believe I'm saying this. I was so gutted when I heard that story. I thought, oh my God, guys, but they were probably right. You know, no, not every, um, you know, just because he's, he is quite astonishing sting doesn't mean that he got it right that day on that song. Absolutely. No, look, I know what you mean, uh, Kim, because I was recording a song in the 80s at Mickey Mouse Studios. You've <laughs> heard of Mickey Mouse, no doubt. And next thing you know, there's a bang on the door. Here's Sting. Can I play some banjo on the track? And we laid it down, and later we didn't use it either. You know, he just constantly <laughs> goes into people's studios. Can I play the bagpipes on this one? Oh, he annoys me sometimes, but anyway. <laughs> you know what? I can't believe that story. I totally, the first, yeah, I totally forgotten about that story and I read it in the biography and I was absolutely dumbstruck. Um, very funny. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Because my dad, that's right. My dad shared the, um, 
That he, that's right. He told me about it in an interview that he was doing. Yeah. Oh, my goodness me. Anyway, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, very funny. Moments like you you did the version that you did of You Keep Me Hanging On, which is a song that a lot of people have done cover versions on. You you wanted to do your own your own version on it. And I believe one of the writers of that actually contacted you after he heard your version of it. Oh, they did, yeah. Um Lamont Dozier sent a telemessage in them days. Of course, this is pre-internet. So, you know, he didn't just whack an email over, um, thanking us for making uh, him look good and taking You Keep Me Hanging On to number one for the third time in America um, and loving our production of it and loving what we've done with it. So I have that telemessage. Fact, hang on, hang on. Here we go. So I have that telemessage right here. Oh, wow. I don't know if you can see it. It's no, probably no, reflecting. I can't read it, unfortunately, but what's it no, say? What's it say? I can't see it at all. No, I know. Do, you're not <laughs> I, I, I'm here. I'm here with it. And, and, and I can't see it either. <laughs> but that's okay, a- so, but anyway, um, yeah, so that version um, came about really spontaneously. Obviously, we knew the song from the 60s, you know, it had been around. And when I recorded it, I just made a point of not going back and referring. So, you know, I didn't, I wanted to bring something fresh to it. Um, huge fan of Diana Ross and the Supremes, but um, hadn't listened to that song for a long time. And yeah. I think that's that was great. What we brought to it was something completely new. And um, that's why people love that version, uh, my version of that song. Yeah, no, it's a great, it's a great version of the song. Um, Thank you. you de- it's fantastic. Your dad did a little bit of theatre. He was the first, you know, he did a whole lot of plays, uh, musical theatre. Did you ever think about doing some musical theatre or something like that, just, you know, something a bit different? Well, I, I did. Uh, back in 1996, I did the, the rock musical Tommy. Oh. And I was um, Mrs. Walker. Oh, cool. <laughs> it was cool. <laughs> I went to audition for Peak Townsend in Covent Garden, London, and I got the part and um, he mentored me throughout the whole uh, musical. It was an incredible experience. I met my husband there. I got married to him very quickly within six months and within a year of that we had our babies. And so, yeah, so Tommy, for me, the, mu- the musical was life-changing. The album was life-changing. It was in my father's record collection and that's where I found it oh, and that's wow. where I loved it. And I remember pouring through all that incredible artwork, you know, the the, the light fittings on the on the wall, and uh, just something yeah. really spiritual and spooky about the whole album. And that sort of had my name written in in within those within the sleeve. My destiny was within that double. I think was it a double album? Yeah, it was. Wasn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. Who knew? My destiny was 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 in that vinyl. That's amazing. I mean. I'm such a pop head. I just love, I love the magic of it. I love how pop can just weave magic into your life. And now we see that now with all the amazing stuff that's happening with ABBA, which is so exciting, so beautiful, so touching, so um, amazing to me. And, uh, you know, if I ever thought, if I ever thought, which I've never done, that um, I was mistaken about this whole pop thing being so sacred, then um, ABBA have come along just at the, in the nick of time to remind us all of how fantastic pop music really is. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. that that uh, There's a lot of people who have that stigma about 
pop music as a as a genre, but it's absolutely uh, it's been such a big part of my life as a radio presenter for so many years. Brian's a singer in a in a band, and you know it is it's such a part of our life. It, it shouldn't be stigmatised at all with that kind of like artsy fartsy thing about pop music. Yeah, well, yeah, no, I mean, I've I kind of lived in and out of that. Obviously, um, you know, when my career began. It was post-punk and new wave and actually pop was a bit of a dirty word in the 80s for a while, in the early 80s. But by the time the mid '80s came, everyone had sort of got got over themselves, and um, and then embraced their inner pop head. Um, certainly, we always have. We've been proud to call our music pop music, which is why my greatest hits is called Pop Don't Stop. Yeah, and also the name of the book and the album. But um, look, as a songwriter myself, I find you know I, I've got a good sense of pop pop music, but it's really hard to write the quintessential pop song. It's really easy to write a maudlin ballad or something that's just going to offend everybody. But writing a really good pop song is really good. And, you know, that's pretty much been your career, full of really, really good pop songs. And, um, you know, credit to your dad and your brother and yourself. Um, yeah, yeah, so is, is there anything, like, are we going to put out? Oh, you've got two new tracks on the record, haven't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. So we've got Shine On, which is with uh, Boy George, um, which is a song, actually, uh, Ricky and I wrote with Epicenter, Swedish writer, actually, over in Mallorca, which was just before the the whole country went into lockdown. We flew back home with that song. And then during lockdown, had a few Zoom meetings with Boy George and the whole thing happened um so over the moon that he's on my greatest hits album what an icon and i've got such a sweet story because when i was singing cambodia on top of the pops you know top of the pops our pop show yep yeah um i was at the studio and he was in the audience so this was before he was famous he'd someone had given him he'd managed to get tickets uh to be part of the audience at top of the pops um of course he had you know he was always really good at connecting and being in the right place at the right time and there he was down in the audience looking absolutely beautiful and I had no idea who he was nobody did um and I remember thinking that that he should be up on stage here I mean I'm standing here singing Cambodia there's a person in the audience who needs to be on here he's just so charismatic um and then all these years later to be doing a duet with him is now there's another bit of magic a bit of pop magic Mm. Uh, right there for you. Proof, if proof was needed. <laughs> Is there anyone else you'd like to do some stuff with that the, you know in that sort of that sort of area? Well, let me think. I mean, I did. I also on the album, I've done. I've, I've worked with a new artist, so a new icon. Yep. Thomas Paul, incredibly talented guy from the from the middle of England. Definitely worth checking out if you haven't before. Thomas Paul, just very, very cool dance music and just a beautiful writer, um, charismatic guy. So, yeah, I mean, working with someone who, working an established artist, someone who's a brand new artist, those things really excite me. Um, I've got a very open mind about who I I could work with, really. It was really fun working with someone else. I heard when you were recording the new songs, that um, Sting came in and said, could I play the banjo or the bass on this? And you would put them down. And once again, 
Again, we did it twice. Can you believe that? Yeah, yeah. Well, all these years later, he comes yeah. in and he asks if he can play the banjo, and we said, "Sod off, Sting. We don't want your banjo." Sod off, Sting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's been hanging around the front of my house with his bass for about a week, and I just refused to go out the front yard. I tell you what. Oh, really? Honestly, no, no. I know how you feel. I know how you feel. Well, we, there you have. We have so much in common, Brian. <laughs> well, we're the same age and we grew up listening to the same music, so um, it's no wonder that I like your music so much because it's all the same influences that I really, really love. And this, you know, this new box set that you can get, it, it's massive. Oh, it's just incredible. Um, I couldn't believe when Cherry Red had put it together. Um, and not only all my all my singles that I've released since 1981 since kids, but all the videos as well. So they've never actually been collated. So there's a DVD on there. So you can um, completely OD on KW. Um, so, and then there's all the B-sides, you know, because, of course, back in the vinyl days, you know, you had to come up with a B-side. And there's some really good ones, if I say so myself. And yeah. then there's like these extended mixes, 12-inch remixes. Goodness knows. I think there's about seven D- DVDs in there, yeah. CDs in there. Yeah. Because oh, it's just crazy, yeah. crazy. But a wonderful, wonderful year for it to happen. I mean, you know, I was 60 this year, and this is, you know, a big year for anyone, a 60th year. And then to have yep. something like that, um, as a, I think that, that hands down is the best present I, I got for my 60th birthday. What a present. Beautiful. Can I ask you about your B-side? Because I know in my band, we used to just have so much fun with the B-sides. We'd say, oh, okay, yeah. we'll do a heavy metal song or we'll do a country and western song. we just do really stupid things that we, you know, and they became my favourites, a lot of those ones, because yeah, you didn't yeah. concentrate on, on them. Um, did yeah. you take a different attitude to the B-sides than you did to the A-sides? Yeah, all the pressure is off on a B-side and very often something really good comes from that. Um, that's mm. why all the B-sides are on, on the... Um, on the Pop Don't Stop collection because they are su- they're such fun and or they're so very different to what I was doing at the time. Um, but you know, my father when he was right when he started writing, Bad Boy, which was a big hit for him, was originally written as a B side for some uh, from a song that some American writer would have sent, um, and ended up being flipped and being the A side and a massive hit for him. So yeah, some magic can happen on a B side, and that's why we've included them on the on the collection. Yeah, you don't overthink a B-side. Sometimes you can overthink an A-side. All right, let's uh, have a listen to the song that you mentioned uh, at the start of that segment, uh, Brian, a terrific song. And uh, now you know the story behind it and how it was written and how it came together. So let's have a listen to it. This is Cambodia from Kim Wilde from her compilation CD, Pop Don't Stop. Listen to the bass that Sting doesn't play on it. It's fantastic.
the Michael Jackson tour that you did, uh, the the bad tour that you did. What are you, what are your memories of that? Yeah, well, uh, it was 1988 and uh, a call came through to my office and I couldn't believe it. I was absolutely gobsmacked. I also didn't feel it was something that I could possibly do because, you know, at the time Michael Jackson was at the height of his fame, the most successful, incredible artist of, of, of all time. And then they were asking me to go on before him. And I was thinking, oh, my God, you have to be joking. This is, of course, I can't do that. Told my mum, of course, I can't do that, mum. You know I can't do that, don't you? And, of course, you know, like all good mums, she said, of course you can, darling. Of course you can do it. You're fantastic. You're every bit as, every bit as good as Michael Jackson, she said. And I believed her. What a fool. So, anyway, so, anyway, so I gave it a go. And um, I actually did really well as it happened. Um, I, it raised my own personal bar. I had a bloody good time doing it. Did about 33 shows with him all around the Europe and the UK. Learned a lot. Got to watch the, the master at work. Yeah, just an amazing time when my album came out at the same time. Close and you came. Never trust a stranger for yeah. a little word. So that, it was divine timing. Yeah. Well, um, Kim, I heard that when you were going to do that tour, that Sting came around to your place oh, and he geez. wanted to play bass on the tour. <laughs> And once again, Actually, you said Brian, no, Brian. Yeah. See, we did audition Sting for right. for the band for for the Michael Jackson tour, and like you say, you know, we just had to say sorry, mate. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, once again, you failed to live up to expectations. Sting. Yeah, yeah. Come on. <laughs> You'd think I'd have learnt the first time, wouldn't you? <laughs> You know, he must yeah. spend a hell of a lot of time in the studio because, <laughs> you know, it must take him ages to get things right. That's all I can gather oh, from this whole conversation. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Oh, it's so boring waiting for him. Do you, do, you not, do you not know how big a star, uh, I mean, you're a massive star. You should never have been intimidated by anybody like Michael Jackson or anything. I mean, you were, yeah. you were huge. You still are huge. I've got more confidence as I've got older, crazily enough. Um, probably at the time I was very awestruck and overwhelmed. I think anyone would have been yeah. at 25 or 6 or however old I was, 28. Um, so, you know, I learned a lot, as I say, and it was uh, an incredible um, gift of, a, of an opportunity. And I've had several in my career. I mean, a few years later I got to tour with David Bowie, which was just incredible on his um, sound and vision album um, and I did a lot of concerts with him and that was that's such a, a, a privilege mm. once again no sting <laughs> <laughs> I wish I'd never mentioned that story yeah. now actually I didn't did I it no, was you I bought it up you I mentioned it, it. Hey, one, yeah. one uh, duet I do want to ask you about was the one you did with your dad for his album uh, where you did the song called 60s World a really good yeah, little that song. Was wonderful. Yeah, I mean, my father wrote an album called Running Together, which yeah. came out during the pandemic. And he played me a song called 60s World, which I had a lot of ideas for. It wasn't a duet at the time. Anyway, I crashed in on it. We changed it a bit. And then we, I ended up filming the uh, video for him because we were in an intense lockdown. And um, so then I had to do a socially distanced video thing of him when I was allowed to go and visit, I mean, the whole thing was 
so tricky, but we got there in the end. And it's a real, um, the video's really gorgeous. If, yeah, you, if you have a look at it, you know, yeah. it's me sort of in, in a garden of daisies, you know, in a 60s vibe and dad looking absolutely fabulous, um, which he does look absolutely fabulous at 82. So a wonderful opportunity to do something really life affirming and joyful during a really very difficult time. Yeah, absolutely. Let me guess to Kim. No sting, eh? On that record. <laughs> no sting again. What does this guy have to do to get on one of your records? <laughs> uh, hey, uh, yeah. Kim, we, we want to thank you so much for your time. I, I'm, I'm, the pandemic has, has knocked the, the industry in, in the bum, unfortunately, so there, mm-hmm. there, there won't be any talk of touring Australia. But if that was to happen, would you would you be up for a tour of Australia again? Oh, in a heartbeat, yeah, in a heartbeat. Good. You know, I bumped into Nick Kershaw the other day at, at, at the festival that I did and um, and I said to him, oh, you know, the, the tour we did together in Australia was one of the happiest tours, the most beautiful experiences of my professional career. And I really mean that. And I said, oh, come on, Nick, let's dream again that we could do it. If we dream it, we can make it happen. I would so love to come back to Australia and tour again. So I'm holding that thought in my heart. Beautiful. Well, hey, well t- I, asked Nick, <laughs> I asked Nick Kershaw about it the other day. <laughs> that you, you, the two of you touring together, and you know what he said? He said, "Wouldn't it be good?" Uh, Grim. Hey, Kim, thank you, so, thank you so much for your time. We do hope that we do get to see you. And this this uh, pop don't stop is just magnificent. Well done, yeah, really, really oh, well done. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thanks for the support. And thank you. Best you, Australia. Can't wait to come back. <laughs> Beautiful. Thanks. Well, Kim. that's okay. Our next interview is with Sting, so we'll we'll give him your regards. <laughs> hey, um, hey, just don't send him my love, will you? Uh, no, it's a new segment on the show called Sod Off Sting. <laughs> Bye, boys. Have Thank a great you. have a great evening. Thank you, Kim. Bye. Right, see Thank ya. You. Congratulations, Kim. Well done. Thanks, Brian. Now, I've got one more song from Kim Wilde to play, and that will be the uh, the duet she talked about the, that she's done on the new CD with Boy George. So we'll get to that shortly. But Brian Mannix. Yes. Happy birthday for this week. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Um, yes, I'm uh, having – well, I'm not having anybody over really. It's No. It's, no. no. Yeah, thanks, Dan Andrews. Good on you. Fantastic. Anyway um, – I won't be getting stinged over to play bass with me, that'll be for sure. <laughs> no, that's actually, that's what I was going to say. The one person who is allowed, you're allowed to have five people in your house, so Sting's coming over with three of his mates. I might, like Kim. <laughs> Sod off, Sting. Yes. Uh, All right. So what are you, uh, how are you feeling about, uh, you know, are you ageing gracefully? Because I haven't seen you in the flesh for a while. I've seen you on Zoom no. and a couple of interviews we've done. How are you going? I'm going all right. I'm yeah. It's a milestone birthday, I suppose. But um, you're saying what? It's your it's your sixtieth. Yeah. Oh goodness me! Where did all the time go? The rest of my life came so suddenly, Kev. It does feel like that, doesn't it? I'm older than you, obviously, but um, only by a couple of years. But when you hit one of those big milestone things, you go, "What happened? Ten minutes ago, I I turned forty. Where did the twenty years yeah. go? Yeah. It just it flies. Um, but anyway, you know, you can't cry about it. It sort of like just happens and, you know, I still look 
fantastic. I look only look about twenty five, <laughs> and only feel about fifteen. If we only act so, about ten, well, <laughs> see, it's all happening. See, you're <laughs> regressing beautifully. Yeah, add all them up, and it comes about sixty. But anyway, there you go. Uh, so anyway, yeah, big birthday this week, but um, I'm sure I'll have a bit, little bit of fun in some sort of way. For our generation, 60 was like the oldest person you could ever possibly imagine when we were kids. Yeah, it was. Yeah, because because my, people my, probably didn't live much past 60 when we no, were No, well, that's the thing too. The, I think the average uh, age expectancy, uh, life expectancy of a male was around 67 at that stage. So you, yeah. you, you got to 60 and you thought, gee, it was good on you, mate. Well done. On the, on the last legs now. But, <laughs> um, well, you know, I reckon I've probably only got a... Probably another ten in me, but um, I'll tell you what, I'm hell bent. Ten shows? Making, that's Jesus. No, ten. Yeah, you, know, you, you know, seventy. Probably, you know, might be gone by seventy. But I figure that I will. Oh. This is my last lap, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna race the car really fast over the last have couple you, of laps. Um, have, well, I was going to say, have you slowed down? COVID slowed everyone down to a degree. But have you slowed down? Have you sort of? Do you feel? I mean, do you feel different? No, um, I feel it takes me a lot longer to get over a big night. You know, a big night out. You know, when I say a big night, that's you know daylight finish sort of night. It that's a three day commitment these days. Whereas in the old days, I'd be just doing a gig the same day. But uh, it takes me a lot longer to recuperate. But it still doesn't deter me from going berserk with the, um, <laughs> uh, with the you know with the whatever. <laughs> what whatever's in front of you at the uh, whatever's the in front of me that's my favourite. Fair enough, fair mm. enough. Well, well, you shouldn't. Have. Is there anything you wanted to have done by the time you were sixty that you haven't done? Um, I wanted to have made a feature film. Oh, but, okay, but I'm working on that at the moment. I've I've got eight minutes of it done. Me and my daughter have been making that through COVID, and uh, she's a terrific actress. It's, it looks really, really cool, actually. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a horror film, but it um, looks really great. Uh, okay. So I'm working on that, and um, that's that's the main thing that I wanted to have done by the time I got to 60. Um, and I know we've talked about this before, but you actually started in film school rather than in rock and roll school, didn't you? Yeah, well, I wanted to be a film director. I didn't want to be a um, in a band. That wasn't... That wasn't part of the plan. That just happened. But anyway, you know, things happen for a reason and I wouldn't change a thing. Um, yeah, good. Oh, probably a couple of things I'd change, but um, not many things. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think I think everyone's got those couple of things, but uh, as long as you don't have kind of a life of, you know, regrets and, and geez, I mean, the highs have been pretty high and the, you know, I mean, the gold records and the yeah. sort of top five singles and all those things, I mean, you you have you have actually achieved oh, a bit yeah. of this, this little time you've and been I, on look, the planet. I think, you know, it's all well and good to have those things, but, you know, and you see your daughter born or your son born or whatever... You know that's the best thing that you'll ever get in life. Um, yep. It's better than get. It's better than a gold record or a, a new car or, you know. Well, yeah. I was going to say a route, but that's probably how you got started in the first place. But, um, it always comes back to that with you, you know. It, it's this. It's the circle of life for you, isn't it? It is the circle of life. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't have you any oh. other way, Brian. Happy birthday, well, mate. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Uh, enjoy, Boy. not too much. Don't go too silly. We've got, we've got more shows to do before the end of the year. We've got good guests coming up. I've got my daughter coming over, and um, oh, she is she's she's a lot like me, but younger and more fit. Yes. So we'll be having a great time, no doubt. Yeah, well, that's dangerous. Love from everybody, and happy birthday! And uh, you know, we're blowing out the candles with you, and then calling the fire brigade. But uh, no, happy birthday! Enjoy as much as you can. Enjoy it.
it blew out the candles. It didn't sound like that. It sounded like something else. But anyway, that's all good. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thanks to our Sorry? very friends at mercots.edu.au, one three hundred triple five five seven six. Now, uh, we'll finish off uh, today with uh, with Kim Wilde uh, as we started, this time with Boy George and the uh, the song from her CD, and Pop, Don't surprisingly, Stop. And not surprisingly, there's no sting on this one either. I believed love was a temple Where our prayers were born every day Precious dreams forever sacred Now we feel them slipping away But here we are Found ourselves lost in the spaces Between the moon and the sun Now our world fragile and naked Clouds of tears on everyone So stay
Together we 